Last week, I spoke to elite endurance athlete Ailey Price. We discussed how she trains with the world's most extreme triathlons, the Keltman and the Norseman, and how to make training an enjoyable part of your lifestyle. This episode really resonated with me, so make sure you check it out. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss scientific principles for optimizing human performance. I am Dr. Phil Price, and on today's episode, we are joined by High Rocks athlete and the host of The Rocks Life podcast, Greg Williams. Now, High Rocks is a functional fitness event which is gaining massively in popularity. It involves running and functional fitness stations and seems to be very popular with the hybrid CrossFit and running communities. Greg on his Rocks Life podcast has interviewed many of the elite athletes. So I wanted to speak to him to find out exactly what it takes to reach the elite level of High Rocks. As always, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and check out all of our other episodes. Here is Greg Williams. Before we get started, I wanted to mention the Progress Theory newsletter. Do you want the latest information on how to optimize human physical and mental performance sent straight to your email? Subscribe to the free Progress Theory newsletter on Substat, where you will receive the latest research and recommendations on how to optimize your performance each week. Head to the show notes and click the link where you can sign up today. Don't miss out. Now, let's get into the show. Greg, thank you so much for coming on to the Progress Theory. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I've always wanted to speak to you regarding your opinions about High Rocks. Obviously, you run your own podcast. And I know we've said this before when we come, uh, well, just before recording, we talked about usually people start a podcast because they have like um, a particular topic or a question they want to find as much about as possible. And then by going to all of these different athletes, coaches, the lot, you find out so much information, you're able to synthesize it. I was like, well, I've, I've got to... I've got to come speak to you because you've got so much experience speaking to all these people. I want to know as much as possible regarding high rocks. I know, you know, I was on your podcast. So I talked a little bit around, I guess, the science around hybrid training, but there's so much more about high rocks I wanted to sort of touch on. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. I, I like started the website really just as a, I could, I thought high rocks was going to grow. I could see it was going to grow. So I thought I'd write one or two articles about it, fairly basic articles about what it was. But then, yeah, I became fairly obsessed with the sport myself and, and trying to improve my performance. And then like you delve into the data and there's just like so much data that Hirox provides. And then you start talking to some of the athletes and then that led to a podcast and um, yeah, it's grown from there. So yeah, it's, 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 it's gone really well. Tell me more about the podcast. I mean, obviously you talked a little bit about where the idea came from, but how's it all going? Initially, it was a, a way to... Uh, talk to to some of the main athletes i would say some of the, the elite level athletes um find out about their training their mindset you know how they got into it their tactics that type of thing and it's it's, it's grown from there so as the sport has grown i think there's gonna be 175,000 athletes competing in high rocks oh. next year it's grown like rapidly all over the globe um that obviously opens up the opportunity to speak to more and more people and not necessarily just the elites of the sport, you know, people with different backgrounds, different reasons for doing it. I know, like, example, like Tyler Saunders, who's done it with one leg, mm. and then, like, just people from all over the globe. And then, like, Eve Muirhead has, has, has just got into it. And um, Jamie Peacock, I spoke to recently, Gareth Timmins, who I think you've spoken mm. to on mm. your podcast as well. So, people with like really interesting backgrounds, finding out more about 
those backgrounds and then also like their thoughts around high rocks. Yeah, and, and you obviously uh, compete in high rocks a lot as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I um, obviously very much a running based event, not, not just running, but it, but before finding high rocks, I wasn't a runner at all. I was, I used to be a sprinter in when I was younger. So like 200 meters was, was about as far as I went before that. Um, but yeah, just uh, so, for some reason, grew to love it. I think it's the, uh, I was doing like things like national fitness games and so on before finding high rocks, but without truly knowing if I was improving at that, you know, it would depend on like the workouts that you'd had on the day or who you were competing against. But with high rocks, the fact it's the same every time and you get a time and you get all the data by station and all that sort of stuff, that really appealed to me. Yeah. Well, for those that are listening that might not know too much about High Rocks. Do you want to describe the event itself? Like you said, it's something where it's the same each time so you can measure yourself with how well you did last time. So I think that, like you said, it was a driver for you. That's a driver for a lot of people why they like High Rocks. So yeah, do you want to give like an overview of what High Rocks is? Yeah, it's, um, I, I guess you'd describe it as a functional fitness event. It's done indoors, 99% of the time at least, uh, like in a convention center. And it consists of, well, you, you run a kilometer and then do a functional station and you repeat that eight times. So there's a total of eight kilometers of running in eight different stations. And those stations are like one kilometer ski erg, 50 meter heavy sled push, 50 meter sled pull, uh, 80 meters of burpee broad jumps, a kilometer row, 200 meter farmer carry, 100 meter lunges, and then 100 or 75 uh, for men or women uh, wall balls at the end. So yeah, eight kilometer running total. On average, that takes an hour and a half, but people like the elite of the sport do it in sub 60 minutes. And then some people can take two or three hours to do it. There's no time limit for completion. And it is like those exercises I just described are, they, they don't require a huge amount of skill at all. So it is very accessible for most people to be able to do with a, a basic level of fitness. And like, there's no time limit for, for completion. So, you know, in theory, you can walk the, the running section if you like yeah i definitely think that's a big driver for people because i guess crossfit kind of started off like that but as that sport has evolved it started to incorporate more and more different movements each one being a bit more challenging because they want to progress the sport so it's not me saying oh crossfit has become less accessible but certainly people will see that and think oh i you know, the amount of time and effort you've got to spend to become very proficient at some of the gymnastics movements. So like, oh, I can't really do that. I can't afford the time to do that. What other options have I got to me? And High Rocks kind of fits that bill a little bit. And obviously you said National Fitness Games, there's a number of different ones that are popping up everywhere, but High Rocks seems to be the one that's leading that quite well at the moment. And the more and more events are popping up in the UK, around Europe, and it's, yeah, it's really cool to see just the expansion of the sport technically is really quick yeah yeah it's really quick and they're they're moving into more and more countries it, like it really is global now it started in germany and then was like primarily focused in europe moved to the uk a couple of years ago um they're in the us they're probably not growing as fast in the us i don't feel as probably they they want to or they intend to um but they like this season they've had events in in australia hong kong they've announced events in like taiwan they've been to Poland, they've announced one in Mexico recently. So it really is like global now. Mm. Just going back as well to the point you said about CrossFit and learning, whatever, things like muscle ups and the, the time it takes to do that. 
I think Hyrox sits in that, that time zone where it's not like an Ironman, for example, where you have to do crazy amount of hours of training every week to, to have a good stab at it. Like you, you can do a lot of hours. Some of the elite athletes do, but I don't think you have to put in 20 plus hours a week to be able to do it. And, uh, so I think that's another thing that appeals to a lot of people as well. Is there a particular station that you dislike the most? Or dislike's probably a strong word. One that you find, you know, the most challenging. I don't know. Per- per- personally, like, I'm, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm terrible at any of them or, or truly great at any of them. Uh, like, the burpee broad jumps is, is brutal. Like, that really jacks your heart rate up quite a lot. So coming out of that and into the run... And, and trying to keep your heart rate like to a reasonable level, like that's where it, that's like midway in the race, that's where it really starts to feel quite grim. So there's, but you know, you just you just got to suck it up at the, yeah. the, the, the end of the day, and it's like part yeah. of the part of the reason of doing it. If it, if you wouldn't do it if it was easy, like part of the reason is that it's hard. I think that's where it really starts to get yeah. hard. At that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess with that question, people often forget. Like usually, it's where it's placed within the whole race will also determine if you like that or hate that particular part of the race. <laughs> so, for example, yeah, yeah. I, my, my most challenging bit for me is getting off the road to the run because I just feel like <laughs> I've just had the wind completely taken out of me. Whereas if the row was the first event, you know, replace that with the ski erg at the beginning, it might not have been that. It was just because it was at that point of the race where you're already yeah. under fatigue and you're changing up exactly what you what you do. So, uh, yeah, that one's my particular Achilles heel. Yeah, those those ergs as well, in particular. Like, even if you go like two seconds per five hundred meters too quick, that can really kill you for the rest of the race. Like, it, it it doesn't always give back what you put in. You know, I remember when when I first did it as a double, so we split it. We split the kilometer 50-50. But I just blasted the 500 meters, and then trying to run after that was like so much harder than when I've mm. done it as an individual and done a kilometer. It's like it's, it's, it's a very fine line that you've got to ride throughout the, the whole race, really, mm. but especially on those ergs. Well, it shows how important practice is at not only rowing, but knowing how good you are at running, but also transitioning between them. Because, like I said, if you just completely gun it, then you just don't have, or you don't have that ability to recover from getting off, allowing your partner to do the 500 metres and then going to the run. If you haven't recovered by that run, you're in trouble because you're losing a lot of time in the run. But yeah, like you said, if you'd slowed down by like five five seconds, for example, that means the the detriment of your run would never be nowhere near as low. So yeah, it's, it's a very tactical game, isn't it? One of the things that the elites do very well compared to the average competitor is that side of things like they, they they pace it very well their their runs are very consistent throughout mm. the race and they they know where that line is and you know how far they can push on on each section of the yeah, race yeah. yeah before we discuss the elites what's your training like for high rocks my training is i put in a, f- a fair amount of hours to, to be fair for it i mean it depends at what point in the season we're talking like during the off season there was a high percentage of easy zone two work and then like pure strength work than than there probably is right now as we're we're in the thick of it. There is a, a fair amount of running training in that, and that can be slow, steady runs, speed work, like interval work, and then some some, some threshold work, as well as uh, compromise work. So like bringing it together, like a high rocks type session where you're going from a run into a sled push and, and back again, and so on. So there's a a real mix of that. 
Personally, I don't do a huge amount of the long, slow runs. Like because I'm not coming from a running background, I do have to be careful with the amount of volume that I do. So a lot of my running work, you might call it like quality work. It probably is like more race pace, threshold, uh, speed work. And then my slower stuff is generally bike, skill, row. From a, from a strength side of things, like the, I don't do a huge amount of pure strength work in the season. Like there's, there's probably like a maintenance volume, but then it's like working on the sleds, working on the lunges, on the wall walls, on the techniques and everything like that. It's interesting what you're saying about your strength work. You like you, you probably do more pure strength towards like an off-season part and now you're in the thick of it. You don't really do that so much. So I guess the strength work you're doing is very similar or specific to High Rocks itself and definitely brings the question, how strong do you actually need to be to be good at High Rocks? You could put so much effort putting like a back squat from like 160 to like 180, but is that necessarily going to, you know, is 160 already strong enough in terms of what the back squat is to transfer to the the heavy stuff of the of the race? So it will be the, well, predominantly it will be the, the push, the sled push. Like, you know, if you're, if you're on the elites and you're, it's a 30 kg sandbag, isn't it? Yeah. Like you don't need to be super strong for that. Although having a good amount of strength is good for that. And then it's just how well you can repeat that submaximal strength over time, isn't it? So no, it's it was just interesting to see how you split it up, especially towards off season and on your in season stuff. Yeah. And that, that's, um, that's exactly it, what you were saying about strength. You have to be strong enough. Like you have to be strong enough to move those sleds. Like they're, they're the heaviest part of it. But once you are strong enough, then it comes down to, yeah, like, like you say, repeating it and get more into muscular endurance. And, and you could argue like your muscular endurance or strength endurance is, is impacted by your maximal strength. But like working really at that, that top end sort of strength, I don't get the impression, like for, I've surveyed the elites, like spoken to a lot of the elites, they're very good runners. They're not the strongest guys you're ever going to meet by any means. And so, like, they're strong enough to get it done, but they're not. They're not crazy strong. Yeah. What was your transition from going from a 200 meter runner to, I guess, a longer runner because you're doing intervals of uh, one kilometer? But what? Do you, how did you find that transition? Because I think when people think about the determinants of high rocks performance, people seem to forget half of it is running. So you need to be a good runner to be good at high rocks. Yeah, how did you find that transition, I guess, from going from much more of an explosive athlete to something where the event lasts over an hour, for example? It's, it's just a case of building the volume gradually and, and probably more gradually than, than you really want to. Like you, you see people going like amazing pace and you want to be at that level, but it is just being careful with it, I think. And like, mm. I think there's a huge amount in anything really to, to be said for consistency and sticking with it. And if you can avoid injury and just like consistently train and chip away at things over time, that becomes like very beneficial. Like I said before, like a lot of my work is the quality work. Like I, I don't, don't go for too many long runs, really. A lot of my work like is the speed work, the threshold work, the compromise work. And that's not, it's not to say I don't do any of it, but I do have to be careful. Like I start to feel it in my Achilles and my, my hip and all that sort of stuff if I do too much. And I'm, what am I, 82 kilograms. So I'm also, I'm not huge, but I'm not, I'm not the smallest guy either. So I think that plays a part. So yeah, that's, that's really just how I've approached it. Uh, like, you know, selecting the type of running that I do and then just building the volume gradually. Mm. Yeah, people forget that. 
you know, when you are a heavier athlete, you know, every time you make contact with the ground when you're running, you're like pounding against the ground. So if you're doing that for long periods of time, that can be quite difficult. Like, I know we talk a lot about when it comes to hybrid training, utilize things like the bike where you're off your feet, where you can try and get more of that zone two work, but you're not hammering yourself to the point where it could be detrimental to you. This is, sorry, it's, it's quite interesting as well. A, a, a few people I've spoken to, I've known, have been out injured for a long period of time unable to run and then come back and still perform very well. Mm. And like, like one example, like David Magida, who was the North American champion last year. I know like for a long time, like throughout this whole off season, he wasn't able to run, but he'd done a ton on the ergs, a ton on the air bike, and then came back and like pretty much won the North American championships. So it can, it's, it is quite interesting that it, that it can be done. And like when, when you are injured and you can't run it, like feels like the worst thing in the world because you just feel like you're losing all your fitness and all your gains. But the people I've spoken to, like, like, I don't get that impression that that happens if you can train around it. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, that leads quite nicely into maybe what do you think it takes to compete with the elite level? So I'm not just thinking you've got the open and the uh, sort of pro race. Someone like a Hunter McIntyre, for example, uh, Ryan Kent, all of those athletes, what what type of qualities do you think they have which uh, enables them to compete at the, the top of this technically new sport? There's a number of things. Like They are all good runners, very good runners, uh, taking into account their strength levels. Now, Hunter mm-hmm. is maybe a bit of an outlier in reality. Like He's a phenomenal athlete. And you could say, well, you've got to be that fast and that strong mm. to compete at the elite level. But there are others that compete at that level that aren't as, as strong as him. But they are all very good runners. So most of them will have a, like in the elite 15, would have a sub 17, 5K on the men's side, sub 19 on the women's. That scales out like through, through the 10K and half marathon numbers. That's, that's like, the, the primary thing really like from a, a performance perspective they're they're squat and deadlift numbers so on the guys a rep, for a, a three rep max squats they probably average 130 kilograms and on the deadlift about 165 kilograms so strong but not crazy strong and there was a guy that did very well at the weekend in chicago in the elite race that he can he can barely squat he told me like 80 kilograms and, and he finished fifth in that race mm. or fourth, I think it was, but he comes from like an Ironman background. So he's got the, he's got the engine. He's a very good runner. Uh, he's strong enough to, to, mm. to move everything. Some strength, but not, not crazy levels of strength. And then there's like the muscular endurance side of things. So one of the slowest runners on the women's side is Miriam von Roa. She's, um, she's comes from a CrossFit background. I think she's around like the 20 minute 5k sort of mark. So fairly solid runner but her her muscular endurance is is phenomenal so like the she can she can do like the 100 meter lunges in in a crazy time she does the 100 wall balls at the end in like two minutes 50 unbroken no problem she's done the Karen crossfit workout 150 wall balls uh, i think she's done that in 410 <laughs> she told me her, her one rep back, back squat is 130 kilograms but in training, she's done 25 reps for 100 kilograms and 69 reps for 85. And she still is able to compete despite essentially being the slowest runner in that elite field because of that muscular endurance. So she mm. makes up the time on the stations. And they're all pretty good on the ergs as well. 
So like most of the guys will be like sub seven, at least for the, for the 2K on the row and the ski, for example. No, that's really cool and interesting numbers to, to hear about, like in terms of, I guess, their performance metrics, which everyone can kind of relate to, and they're very similar to parts of the event that actually happens in High Rocks. Really interesting to see, I guess, the thing that stood out to me was regarding that female athlete, oh, well, here's her max squat, but take 30 kilograms off her, and then all of a sudden she's like doing huge sets with that. And I think that's a really key thing to start looking at I know that's something we wanted to start looking at in terms of, I guess, the scientific background to that. Because say you've got like 100%, you're 1RM, and then, okay, let's find 90% of that, do as many reps as you can, 80% of that, do as many reps as you, te- as you can. And, okay, those that can do higher reps at like high loads, you know, what kind of muscular qualities do they have which enables them to do high reps at high loads because ultimately that's probably what's going to be more important than a one rep max, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's very interesting because I've surveyed the elite states. I know these results. And if you look at their pure run times and their free rep max squats, deadlift, military press, and their road times, you can't just look at those in isolation and be able to predict results of the race. Like it gives you some correlation, but it's, it's certainly not like uh, predictive by any means. Like there's mm-hmm. other factors that play a part in that. That muscular endurance is a factor. I think there's a there's numerous mindset factors that play a part and I can talk about those as well mm-hmm. if you like. And then there's also compromised side of things. So it's fine. What If you can run 5K in sub 17 minutes, that's fine. There's there's a lot of people doing high ups that can do a sub 17 5k, but they can't get close to what those elite guys are doing in a higher ups. And so, how fast are they when they when they, when they compromise once mm. they've pushed that sled or got 100 meters of lunges or something like that, or even come off the ski erg like the first station they they've one kilometer ski erg. We sort of talked about this when you come on my podcast that just the movement of the blood around the body, how much is that compromising them? And I think there's some people that just don't deal with that very well and and the elites of the sport do. And that some of that can come down to like strength, obviously. If you're very strong and you push a sled, it compromises you less than than a weaker person. But I don't I don't think that's like the only factor. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really interesting because I always try and see it as like affordances. So every athlete is gonna have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. And the better athletes are going to be the ones that can utilize their strengths more effectively to do the performance than the others. So sometimes it's not always like, okay, test this, this, and this. Okay, now I can predict exactly where you're going to be. It's not like cycling where you probably be able to predict performance a little bit better than that. You know, obviously there's other factors, but it's a bit easier in a single sport like cycling. But those that tend to do better, maybe this links into what you were saying regarding mindset, because they are able to utilize their strengths better and in a more efficient way to do certain tasks within the sport. So it's always an interesting way of just like, you can almost like, okay, we've got five athletes, they're different. What exactly makes them good at high rocks? Uh, So there's always a really interesting discussion there. I'm just going to interrupt here to quickly thank our sponsors. Hydrate by Human24. Hydrate is a fast and effective formula to improve hydration by replacing fluid and body salts after an intense training session or after a long night's sleep. 
Each sachet contains an optimal ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium to improve cellular hydration. I highly recommend the citrus flavor, which I always take immediately upon waking. It really sets my day up perfectly. Head to human24.com, that's hmn24.com, where you can get a month's supply of 30 sachets and use the code FILL10 at checkout for 10% off. Now, let's get back into the conversation. From discussing with the elites, you're saying about mindset. What kind of separates them from a mindset perspective to those that might not have reached that top level, do you think? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a few things I've, I've, I've thought about on this side. But Horrocks is your red line or threshold mm. for, for an hour, say, and it, it's uncomfortable, right? It's like it, you feel grim for, for an hour. And I think like those elites are, are happier sitting in that place than, than some other people are. I think you can back off a touch and convince yourself you're still working hard and it, it still feels bad, but I think they're more comfortable being uncomfortable for that period of time. I think that's a, a, a big factor for some people. I think they are very competitive. When the gun goes off, they are, <laughs> they'll do anything to win at that point. And yeah. the personalities are, are very different. Even World Championship, Hunter McIntyre versus Lauren Weeks, 100% like different type of people. You can, you can imagine Hunter would, like he said, like, I was listening to a podcast that he did with, with Lauren the other day and he was just like, I just imagine I want to kill people when I'm competing against them. And she was like, me and you are just such different people. You know, because like, she's, she's not like that at all. I do think when the gun goes off and they're in that race, they will, they will do anything to win. And I, I talked about this with another one of the guys, Dylan Scott, and he said, yeah, like that, that is, that is what we're like. And he said, you can, you can bet if you like phoned any one of them now, they're thinking about high rocks. Like that's, that is what they think about 24 mm. seven. Something I've noticed that is that they do hard things at the drop of a hat. So one example, like the, the UK's fastest guys is Graham Halliday. He comes from a bodybuilding background. He like didn't do much running before. But he told me he'd done a hundred kilometer run. Someone asked him if they went through a hundred kilometer run with four to six weeks notice. He was just like, yeah. And like, did it, broke a few bones in his feet doing it. And I think there's, and I know there's a lot of people, this sort of mentality is it's not only the elites, but they, they will do stuff like that without really like thinking, oh no, I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. Like they'll just, they'll just go ahead and do it. So I think there's. There's something there, like you see, that they just go and do a marathon in the off season, like Hunter did an Ironman in the off season. That type of thing, they're they're, they're very happy to go and do. So yeah, there's there's a few things like that that I've noticed with them. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah, I can definitely resonate with that. Not from a point of like that is exactly me, but almost from a point that I know at times where shall I push? No, I think. I think too much, or maybe about this, maybe about this, and because I'm thinking too much, rather than, yeah, I'll do that, yeah, I'll do that, yeah, I'll push myself to that limit. I then probably get to that limit where you're literally trying to, like, I'm doing whatever I can to beat the next person. Because I'm so focused on the, all the minutia of what I need to do, I then don't push as hard as I potentially could be. There's so many times I've reached the end of a race and I've realized, like, you know, hold off here because you don't want to blow up later. Hold off here, you don't want to blow up later. You get to the end, you're like, oh, I never really blew up. And I always think it's like my mindset affects my perception of where that red line is. Now, obviously, you don't want to go too far, but my perception stops me getting 
too near it, and then it kind of limits my performance in that sense. Yeah, I. Uh, funny enough, I was talking. I was talking with Eve Muirhead about this uh, a couple of days ago. In her final Olympics, where, where she won the gold, she she said like one big difference for her was that like, she wasn't afraid to lose anymore, and she was willing to start taking risks in in the sport. And it resonated. I spoke to Chris Hinshaw in in Chicago, who spoke to like some of the athletes before the race, and he said like you've got to take risks. And I talk all the time about pacing in higher ups. You can't go out too hot, and you've almost got to pace. Every station, actually, like it's only the wall balls where you really go full send because you've got to be able to do the other things. There is that also, you've got to take some risks and you've got, you've got to push yourself. And like you said, you can convince yourself you're pushing yourself hard, but not going quite to as hard as you can. Hmm. Um, and then finishing the race and being like, I had something left in the tank there. And that, some of that comes from like just race practice and being willing to foul. Do you think it's something that can be easily taught? I mean, I know there's a lot of sports psychologists that try and encourage, I guess, risk-taking. A lot of people get really quite apprehensive, especially when there's a lot of sporting pressure on them. Uh, and then you get some athletes that pressure is a privilege, I don't care, I'm going for it, you know, taking that risk. Yeah. And they just seem to have that ability to do it. Do you think it's, I guess, from a high-volts perspective, it's something that can be taught or practiced? I, th I think it can be practiced. I mean, obviously, everyone is different and... It can come down to race experience. Higher ups, there are a lot of races now that you can go and do, but if, you, if you're just in a country there's only one or two races, when they, it's not like, you know, I come from a football background and like you play football every week and there's a match every week. There's not a higher ups race every week. So mm. you're always a little bit hesitant to, to risk too much when it comes around. But I think it can be taught or, or practiced. And I think some of it is just like not tying yourself or your happiness to, to the outcome or the final time or your position, which is very, very easy to do in higher ups because like you've got your time that you want to be and you can compare it against everyone on the day and you can compare it against everyone ever across the group that's ever done a higher ups. But if you don't tie your happiness or, or your self-worth or whatever to that outcome and you just say like, did I execute what mm. in the way I wanted to execute, then yeah, I think it can be done. Say you were coaching an athlete that really wanted to reach the podium. Maybe the last time they realized they came 10th. You know, normally, say you got men's pro, there might have been 100, 100 athletes that are there. I want to reach podium, but I reached 10th. What kind of things do you think that person in their training should focus on to, I guess, I mean, this is quite a broad general question, but from your conversations with elite athletes those that you know are at the pinnacle of high rocks what do you think they are doing that might be slightly different that would enable someone just to reach that next step and you know hit the top ends of performance for high rocks i mean i guess if they finished 10th you'd first be able to look at their race data and see was there a particular station they performed poorly on or, or relatively poorly because you can compare against everyone else in the race and obviously we all have our own strengths and weaknesses but was there anything there um, that, that was a factor. Often it's the running because that's essentially 50% of the race. So that, that is, that is a major factor. And like from a running perspective, how well did you pace it? Was your running consistent? Like one of the things that we certainly see with the elites is that each run time is, is very consistent throughout the whole race, as opposed to starting out at a crazy pace and then deteriorating. So that's maybe some of the basic stuff that, that, that you can certainly look at and then like working on 
if it is something like the sled pull or a wall ball or the burpees, for example, that can be not just pure fitness, but also like technique. There's, there's a technique to those that can save you a huge amount of time. I guess the next step, like if it was just pure training and fitness, it, it would depend on, on where that was that they were falling down and, and what they've been doing in their training previously. And maybe also where they are in, in the season and how they've structured their season. I, I should have mentioned this before when we were talking about the elites, but I think some, some people structure their year. This is the impression I get structure their year more effectively than some other athletes. So if, if you look at Hunter McIntyre, he's a very experienced athlete. He's been doing this type of thing for years and he's, I mean, he's done a doubles so far, but we're, we're in November now and he's not going to race his first race of the season until well, two weeks time with a view to winning the world championships in June, at the start of June. There's some other athletes that have already raced three, four, five times, chasing a time, chasing qualification. They've not had that nice off season. They, they're not necessarily like peaking effectively. I think there's a level of maturity in someone like Hunter and some of the other experienced athletes that with how they structure their season. So I think that's a factor as well. Mm. Going back to the like the, the, the example athlete we were talking about, so that, that it would depend where they are in their season as well as to you know what 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 we started chasing. If they've you know been doing a huge amount of zone two work and strength work, like like I said, sort of from the off season, moving more into that sort of threshold and and race pace type work and compromise work and more like high rocks workouts without doing a high rocks every training session, I think would be important as well. Yeah. No, that's a really interesting, interesting point regarding peaking, because I've spoken to a lot of coaches who argue that to truly peak, you know, you only have the capacity to be able to do that like two to three times a year. And so that doesn't mean that you don't necessarily have to not compete, but you have to take into account that you're not going to be at 100% or you should be focused on giving 100% every time you know maybe you've got uh say you did i don't know six high rocks events in a year and you wanted to peak around number three and number six so you've got like one and two are kind of acting as, as like training sessions so you can try new things push in different areas and that will enable you to find out as much more about your own physical performance to lead you to truly peak but if you try to push yourself at 100 percent at all six of them then you're lacking your ability to I guess, recover truly, or at least recover so you can put a good amount of training in between each one to enable you to peak. So yeah, it's an interesting, interesting to hear like the athletes at the elite level have different strategies and, you know, Hunter is clearly peaking for one particular title and you, you think that's one of the best strategies to do. Personally, yeah, it's like, it's the nature of the beast in, in some ways. There's four I won't go into too much detail, but there's four major races that these elites can can race at, and they they will use those to try and qualify for the elite race at the World Championships in June. Hunter does still have to qualify, but he knows he's one of the best. He knows he can probably run one race and qualify. Whereas there's others that are trying to get a time in a in a regular race to qualify for those majors to then try and qualify for the world championships through those majors. So Hunter's life can be fairly relaxed. He's racing, when we record this, in two weeks' time in Stockholm. He's probably fairly confident he's going to finish in the top three in that race and then qualify for the world championships. But there's others that are just like, 
chasing that time and they're going to go and race in Barcelona this weekend and they raced the other weekend somewhere else and try and get that time. To, and I just, you know, they're, they're constantly pushing themselves without truly peaking for, for one race. Yeah, imagine yeah. all the travel. Like, that's going to be, that's going to be like, <laughs> the fatigue from that is going to really add up. And you start to yeah. realise just how much indirect factors will play into it as well. So really choose when you're going to peak. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about the elites, but say if you're working with someone that's new to High Rocks, from like a beginner point of view, uh, where would you recommend, what recommendations would you have for someone that's starting off? Would you push them towards, you know, just get really good at running or are there any other things you think that to get really involved with the sport of High Rocks, people should try certain things before they start thinking about taking it to the next level? I think it probably depends on their background. If they come from a running background and they're particularly weak and they struggle to move the sleds or, you know, do an erg or do a wall ball, their focus needs to go to, to somewhere different to a crossfitter, for example, that maybe hasn't done so much running, but is very good on the stations. It's identifying like what that person, what background and that person comes from and what, what they need to work on. And then you can probably like, if it's a runner, they can probably go to a fairly basic maintenance running plan mm. and, and and spend some time you know building up the strength and, and working on on the exercises so i think it probably depends on on their background really but certainly like running is the critical element for most people in the race compromise running i should say so getting to a point where they're comfortable with that over that sort of time domain as well is is the most important thing Mm. I know that's not like the best answer, but it is very no, much dependent I, I, I on, think it's on, a great, on the person. I think it's a great answer. I guess it's understanding where your strengths lie and trying to bring up your your weaknesses in a way so that your, I guess, your running and the, the strength station components uh, are brought up to a similar level. I know we talked about strengths and utilizing the strengths, but getting both components to a good, moderate ability is probably pretty important. And I guess just enjoying it <laughs> is the main thing just really really enjoy training for the sport and the sport itself yeah yeah and th there is a huge amount to be said for for experience and pacing properly all that sort of stuff most people vastly overestimate their their ability in a race like probably take whatever you think you're going to do and add 10 minutes onto it i would say for most people doing a high rocks but some of that you mm. you can work out in training if you if you do it properly and if you work with someone that's actually been to a high rocks before and know how the sleds feel and understand things like the rock zone and all that sort of stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah, experience counts for a lot. So mm. like get, doing doing some sins and understanding the pacing and like not kidding yourself that because you can do a 20-minute 5K, that don't mean that you're going to be able to run individual kilometres at four minute per mm. kilometre or anything like that because you're, you'll be shocked. So. Mm. Is that where everyone mainly overestimates is that first run? Because I've, I'll admit that I'll look at my own results and then you'll see like the people around you, how they've done. And usually there's like a, their first kilometer is done in like, I don't know, three minutes 50 or four minutes 10. And then it comes to like later on, four minutes 40, five minutes 10, five <laughs> minutes 50. You know, it just <laughs> drops. And it almost starts with that first kilometer. And I just feel like that must be where people, it was either they get like so excited by the atmosphere and stuff and they just, everyone's bedding for it. You don't want to be left behind. So you just go for it. 
or people completely overestimate their ability to to run between each of the stations. I do wonder which one most people do. I do wonder, maybe it's the first one, just because it is a good environment, isn't it? It, is, it does get you hyped up and you do feel really yeah. good. Like You feel like you're bouncing along that first kilometre. Oh, I'm doing all right there. And then it, you get to the third <laughs> kilometre and you're like dragging your feet. Yeah, and they do hype it up. Like you're in that tunnel and they're playing the music and everyone goes out hot. So you sort of like end up sticking with them. But yeah, if you can just reel yourself in, you'll, you'll benefit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> quite a lot, yeah. And I, I, I get personally get quite geeky on this. Like I'll, I will look at the floor plan. I will work it because sometimes the first run is slightly shorter mm. or longer. So I work out how quickly I want to do that run and how, like, if it's two and a half laps, for example, and I know I want to run, let's say, four thirty pace. I will know how quickly I want to do a lap. So I'm constantly looking at my watch and saying, right, let's whatever that works out to be like two minutes i'll be timing that i can't imagine leaving it to chance i can't imagine trying to do it without my watch or timing my laps or anything like that because i think you can easily get caught up in it all and where do you think the sport's going to go like it's still new so there's more events per year now they seem to be doing double days so you know london was saturday sunday whereas before it was just saturday so clearly there's the demand for more people taking part, so they've had to spread it over two days. The times keep getting broken. Like, what's the, what's the world record time, let's say, men's pro and women's pro? 54-something on the men's side, 58-58 on the women's side. That's, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's insane. So, where, yeah, where do you think the sport will go, either from a performance perspective or from, from a business perspective? From a business perspective, it seemingly is continuing to grow rapidly. And I think like, I think that's, that's deliberate. I don't know how they're doing profit-wise, but I think they, they're really trying to make an imprint in as many countries as possible. Because when someone has done one, it is quite addictive. Like You get a time and then you want to beat it and you tell your friends about it and you post about it on social media and more people find out about it. Like Growing very quickly for that reason in the UK, especially... The events are crazy. And I think that's why they're going into, you know, all these countries, Mexico and Taiwan and Korea and like, like they've been to Australia. Because I think they're trying to to get that footprint, if you like. Mm. Because there are there could be like competitors that, that set up. It's not, you know, it is just a, a functional fitness competition at the end of the day, but they 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 seem to be executing it very well. So I think I can see it continuing to grow. Certainly I, I personally think it can become as big or bigger than crossfit because because it is so accessible and because like, people you know just get that time that they want to beat from a an elite side of things i think they really are starting to try and push that now there is prize money this year crazy prize money but there was like the, the major race in chicago most recently there was like six thousand dollars for the winner of that and that like there was prize money for all 15 of them to a certain extent Plus, there'll be more at the World Championships. Plus, I think they're really trying to encourage those athletes to, they, they want them to become professional. They want them to be able to get their own sponsorship. They're facilitating that through, A, like doing quite high quality, in theory, broadcasts and live streams of those elite races. And also the way that the season is structured and how to qualify for those major races and, and, and so on is... It's quite hard to break into. So once you're once you're in it and you perform, 
you've got a place like there's there's seven that have auto qualified for the remaining races of the season being able to go to a sponsor and say i will be in all these races and i've qualified for the world championships and it's going to be live streamed what's that worth to you and are you willing to sponsor me so i think they're trying to facilitate that side of things because previously it was always done on who had the 15 fastest times from from any race and it was constantly changing like you never really knew from one weekend to the next who was going to be in the top 15 and i think of it as like if you compare it to to formula one for example if sergio perez went to a sponsor and said i know i mean all the races for this formula one season as opposed to if someone goes quicker than me next week i'm not going to be in it like mm. that's that's a big difference in, in what they're going to get uh sponsored so they are trying to encourage the professionalization of the sport certainly so yeah i can i can see it continuing to grow certainly uh, as for performances it's, it's 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 hard to say like they're constantly constantly improving the the, the level of competition and the, and the depth of the field is certainly increasing as well hunter mcintyre on the men's side is is the standout performer but two guys have gone very close to him recently hunter thinks he can get to a 52 this season whether he does or not remains to be seen but it's actually is like when you actually look at all the elements of the race and you know how quickly there's only so quickly someone can do 100 ball balls for example or 100 lunges and it's it's hard to see it getting smashed like his time but uh, records are continuing to fall so yeah it's, it's certainly be interesting to see mm. no definitely I, I did wonder if performance will start reaching some form of physical ceiling. But uh, I think there's been a number of times in, in history where we've thought, you know, the human body is only capable of certain things and all of a sudden someone breaks it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years. Um, if we I, we, I know we keep comparing it to CrossFit, but I'm sure I reflected like four or five years ago, I thought, ah, oh, what's that they're programming? They must be reaching some level of, the, the weights that they're choosing within these Metcons, it must be reaching some kind of limit, but then it continues to progress. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I'd love to predict how far that's going to happen, uh, but I, I don't, don't think anyone truly knows. So it'll be still really yeah. cool to see where Highworks goes. And even, even if it does reach some kind of ceiling, people still want to compete to see how close they can get to that ceiling. Got Bolt with his 9.58, 100 meters doesn't mean that people are stopping to <laughs> stopping sprinting because oh, I can't reach that no point you know it's still a huge global event every four years isn't it and obviously you've got the diamond league every every year as well so nothing to say that high rocks won't be similar you know people want to see how close they can get to the to the record so yeah that's why they have races against each other as well so it's not just about like getting the time like they're, they're racing against each other and and also, like going back to the professionalisation and the money coming in, you're going to attract more and more athletes, potentially from other sports, that want to come and do it. So, Michaela Norman on the women's side is is one of the top three women really in the sport. She's she's been to the CrossFit Games as a team. She was a very good level CrossFitter, but she's she's come over to High Rocks like that's her primary focus now. And and I wonder if you'll 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 see more and more of that over time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see how High Rocks grows and I've obviously competed recently in, in mixed doubles and we're already keen to try and see if we can beat our time again. So, you know, you get that bug, don't you? You really do get that bug yeah. with these types of types of events. But Greg, mate, that was that was amazing. Thank you so much. How can people get in contact if 
they have one, uh, they want to listen to your podcast, or two, if they just want to get involved with High Rocks as a sport in general. Yeah, thank you. Thanks thanks for having me. So my, my podcast is The Rocks Life Podcast. That's R-O-X-L-Y-F-E. I've got a website as well, rockslife.com, and I'm on Instagram at The Rocks Life. So that's, they're, they're the main places you can find me. We've got lots of articles, podcasts, videos on YouTube as well. Uh, we do coaching. We've got a 12-week coaching plan, all, all kinds of things from that perspective. And you can find out more about High Rocks from there, really, as well as High Rocks have got multiple websites, depending on what country you're in, but highrocks.com will, will essentially get you there. Yeah. No, brilliant. I definitely recommend anyone that's interested in High Rocks to, to check all of that out. We'll have that all in the show notes. And I've definitely listened to a few episodes myself and they're they are really good and really informative um so please check it out and I, I was reading one of your one of your articles not too long ago regarding organization of training within a day really good stuff so please everyone listening check that out your uh, your interview on my podcast people it's, it's one of the most popular people oh, still message me and say yeah people often message me and say that's one of the best podcasts i've ever heard uh, <laughs> and there's Three or four, maybe five podcasts that people say, like, I've listened to that multiple times uh, because there's, there's so much gold in it and, and yours is one of those. So, huh. so yeah. Oh, thank you very listen, much. Li- I'm, listen to I'm that glad one. people aren't <laughs> bored of hearing me speak. So, uh, thank you. No, that's brilliant. But, um, yeah. Oh, it's great, great news to hear. That made me very happy <laughs> this Friday afternoon. <laughs> brilliant. Anyway, Greg, hopefully we'll be able to catch you at a High Rocks event in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Next week, I will be speaking to SES soldier, Lindsay Bruce. We will discuss what mindset and physical attributes are needed to pass SES selection and the importance of community. Make sure you tune in. Before we wrap up, I want to give a shout out and my thanks to my production partner, Cult Media. If you are thinking of launching a podcast or want to grow your audience, head to www.cult.media, that's cult with a K, to get started today.